You have discovered season 3 of the 542 and the Blue Podcast. Discussions of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. Your host and narrator, Scott Lunsford, retired police detective, sergeant, author and researcher. Today's Shade of Blue Podcast. Justice denied and justice delivered. The killing of a Nashville, North Carolina police officer in 1911. This is Victoria your producer for 542 and the Blue Podcast. Technical work and sound control. By Alice your engineer. Music by purpleplanet.com used with permission and authorized under common rights media sources. Alice. Put Scott on the microphone. 3. 2. 1. Thank you, Victoria and Alice, for getting us up on this new podcast. And welcome to you, our listeners, to Season 3 of 542 in the Blue, where we're looking at information involving law enforcement, crimes, criminals, and other interesting bits of history that have occurred mostly in the Appalachian Mountains. But we do spread out and talk about things in other areas as well that I find of interest or that were referred to me, hopefully the listeners might be interested in. Well, as Victoria talked about, we're going to look at 1911 in particular, 1911 in the Appalachian Mountains and South Carolina and Georgia. There was a lot happening in 1911. Pilot Eugene Eli, he landed the first airplane on the deck of a warship, the USS Pennsylvania, that was stationed in San Francisco Bay, making the first time an aircraft landed on any type of ship. Another first for flight, uh, the destroyer USS Terry made the first airplane rescue at sea, saving the life of John McCurdy. 10 miles from Havana, Cuba. The Triangle Shirt Waste Factory fire in New York City occurred and ended up killing 146 individuals in that nightmarish instant. The United States Army approved and adopted the model 1911 pistol as its standard sidearm. And of course, that's where the 1911 came from. Still a very popular and reliable handgun even today. The Great Fire of 1911 occurred in Bangor, Maine, where almost the entire downtown area of the city was destroyed. The main branch of the New York Public Library was officially opened in 1911 as well. The first Indianapolis auto race was run. The winner won with a top speed of a little over 70 miles per hour. The outlaw Elmer McCurdy and associates were chased down by a posse after they tried to rob a train in Oklahoma. McCurdy on the run was eventually hunted down and shot by authorities. His body was never claimed and was later chemically petrified. Afterwards, his remains ended up on a sideshow attraction in a carnival until about 1976 when that was actually figured out that he wasn't a fake body but a real body 
it didn't take too long for forensic experts to figure out it was the uh, outlaw McGurdy. And his body was actually finally buried in 1976 after a 65-year odyssey before he hit the ground. Chevy automobiles entered the market to compete with the Ford Model T. And a lot of other interesting information. Let's get a little bit closer to what might be considered home. Uh, at least ways for me. It looked like in 1911 the Asheville Moonshiners were going to take the pennant in the Appalachian League. And reading some other newspapers of the day, the fire chief of New Orleans committed suicide. He was determined that he was the oldest and longest serving fire chief at that time. He passed away at 72 years of age and was working right up until the very end. The oldest fire chief in the nation at the time. Now let's talk about an incident that occurred in Asheville, North Carolina in 1911. Now, as still happens today, other police agencies, when they are working a case and they find out the case is actually spread into another jurisdiction, quite often they'll contact the other agency and ask for assistance, either running down a suspect, running down some clues, confirming some information, or looking for evidence. Now this occurred back in 1911. The Henderson County Sheriff's Department requested the Asheville Police Department investigate the possibility of a larceny that occurred in their jurisdiction and the item stolen showing up in the city of Asheville or at least they were last seen heading to Asheville. The two items in question were two cows. Now the investigation and call was given to Patrolman McConnell. He was dispatched and he was going to do the follow-up on the case. In his investigation, his preliminary investigation, he located a man that had bought one of the two stolen cows. He was able to get further information from this individual about the person that stole the cows, or at least sold him the cows. Interviewing the person with the stolen cow, he was able to get more information on a possible suspect and who might be dealing in hot cows in that area. Patrolman McConnell got a description of the man that sold the cows as an African-American male who wore a pink striped shirt, black overalls, a Stetson Derby hat, and a pair of shoes which the heel had split and was actually quite noticeable according to the witness. With this information in hand, the officer went back out to search thinking that the suspect would probably return to sell the second cow to the same man, he set up a position to watch the roadway where he could see if anybody was coming from the Hendersonville area towards Asheville with a hot cow. Now patience did pay off because it wasn't long before the suspect came in leading the second stolen cow. Coming out from his point of observation, he took the individual into custody. This occurred according to the newspapers just opposite the 
Webb store on South Main Street. The man was arrested, searched, and $11, which is what he sold the cow for, and a watch were taken from him and kept by Officer McConnell. As Officer McConnell was on foot at the time of the arrest, a Mr. Steel Leather offered to use his own personal vehicle to transport the suspect to jail. The second cow was taken for safekeeping by the original buyer of the first stolen cow, who now had both of them. Placing the suspect into the vehicle and getting in himself, the trio headed to jail. Now just as the vehicle reached the intersection of McDowell Street, the arrestee pulled a 38 revolver from his clothes and pointed it into the face of the officer. McConnell threw his arms up and over the suspect's arm in an effort to throw or shake the pistol from the prisoner's hand and as he knocked the arm sideways in the struggle the prisoner was able to pull the trigger the 38 caliber bullet striking the policeman in the right chest between the fourth and fifth ribs the officer shouting to the driver I'm shot I'm shot the bullet passed backward and slightly downward penetrating the right lung and outer side of the right shoulder blade of the officer after being let go by the officer the suspect jumped from the car and ran into the nearby woods the injured officer was rushed to the mission hospital where dr eugene glenn and dr mcgraver and siever removed the bullet at first it appeared the officer would survive the surgery unless there were complications according to Dr. Glenn in the Asheville Citizen Times newspaper of the day. The officer never lost consciousness, although he was very weak. Unfortunately, Officer McConnell passed away due to his injuries and the complications from them. Word of the shooting spread relatively quickly with a large crowd gathering at Pack Square. The papers called it a scene of moving mass of humanity bent upon the capture of the shooter. Men carried pistols, shotguns, and rifles, and a posse of 50 men, which was augmented later to 150 in the afternoon, went in the direction of Swananoa, thought to be the last known direction of travel of the shooter. Tracking dogs were also located and placed on the track and trail, and probably would have caught the suspect if it hadn't been for the weather at the time according to the reports I've read. It was thought that the shooter now known as John Huff was possibly seen in Buena Vista the day after the shooting around seven o'clock in the morning. This was probably the last known confirmation of the shooter that occurred and you'll see what I'm talking about a little bit later the railroad lines being a source of transportation through the mountain community it ended up being very well guarded all railway officials and authorities in the nearby towns were sent descriptions of the suspect and the information that they had available to them in the hopes that the individual would be located. At the time of the arrest and the shooting, 
The suspect had dropped his hat as he jumped from the vehicle. It was later used to provide a tracking scent for the tracking dogs. Now this all occurred July 4th, 1911 on a Tuesday. The physical description of the suspect and the name John Huff was broadcast and published in newspapers and whatever other sources that could be found to get the information out to help locate him. Several individuals by the name of John Huff were located or who people thought matched the description of the shooter. They were brought either into town or to the local police stations. Although investigation determined that the suspect was the same individual who had shot a police officer in Anderson, South Carolina, uh, two years before, according to the newspapers at the time. As the search continued for some time, the Asheville Citizen and several other prominent individuals in the city of Asheville put together a fund and raised money to hire a what the media referred to at the time as a professional investigator or professional detective. Now we have to think too of the time frame, 1911. Budgets were very limited. As a matter of fact, when one individual was located in Anderson, South Carolina, another fund was raised for the officers and the chief of police to travel by train to South Carolina to attempt to identify a man that they had in custody in Anderson, South Carolina as being Mr. John Huff. Upon arrival in South Carolina, it was determined that the gentleman being held there was not, was not the shooter. Several instances like this occurred, many times with the individual being basically kidnapped from his locale and transported by train to Asheville with an attempt to be identified as the shooter and then when he was not was turned loose. Now like I said this occurred and went on off and on for close for two years at the very least. This went on for about two years until a until a John Huff was located in Atlanta, Georgia and taken into custody by Anderson County Sheriff's Department. He was brought back to Asheville at this time to be identified and interviewed. It also happened a second subject was brought into town. Now before the man in Atlanta was arrested another individual had been arrested and was currently in jail in Asheville. This individual was actually brought into trial, tried for the murder of the police officer, but a hung jury led to a mistrial and the man was put back in jail. That is when the second John Huff was located in Atlanta and brought to Asheville. So at this time we've got a trial pending on Mr. John Huff A, who has been in jail for about a year in Buncombe County, and we have John Huff B, who has been arrested in Atlanta 
and brought to Asheville as the shooter. Now it's kind of unusual to have two people under arrest for the same charge. So the prosecution put both of them on trial. In this case, the second trial for John Huff A occurred three years after the shooting of the officer. John Huff A was acquitted after individuals showed up and testified that he wasn't in the area when that happened and reliable sources that also backed this information up. This gentleman was released. This opened up the trial for John Huff B who was indicted and put before Superior Court. There were two individuals that testified that John Huff B had admitted to them that they were the killer of the police officer in Asheville, North Carolina. But later it came out these individuals that were brought in as witnesses from Georgia were perjuring themselves. And it turned out that they were perjuring themselves because they were in fear of the professional detective that the newspapers had hired and the other outstanding citizens of the city of Asheville had hired. The private detective had gone to Georgia, located individuals, and literally tortured them to make them witnesses for the state saying that the man had confessed to them and that he was involved in the shooting of the officer. When that information came out, the second John Huff was also acquitted. And the professional detective, paid for by the newspaper, was arrested and brought up on charges and sent back to Georgia to face perjury, kidnapping, and assault. When you read the newspapers going back to 1911 and move up to 1915, you will see there was no shortage of John Huffs who were taken into custody and not identified positively as being the suspect or the killer of the Asheville police officer. Unfortunately, justice has escaped for Officer McConnell. His killer is long dead. He left behind a wife and two children who carried on his name. There was justice in these cases, though. The two individuals that were brought to trial did receive, apparently, fair trials. They were acquitted of their alleged involvement in the murder of Officer Connell. So here we have a case of justice denied and justice delivered, all in the same incident. Thank you for listening to This Shade of Blue. If you have ideas for podcasts or research projects that you would like to see maybe turned into podcasts in the future, you can reach me through my website at scottlunsfordauthor.com. I would be happy to hear from you. Just drop me a line from the contact page of my website. And while you're there, take a look at some of my books. You'll find some fiction and nonfiction resources available. You also find a list of season one and season two podcasts and links on how you can 
listen to those if you would like to. Let's try in the coming weeks to be safe and be secure. And let's not forget to do something nice for somebody. It'll make you feel better. All right, Alice, take us away and close us out. Three, two, one. You have been listening to Season 3 of the 542 and the Blue Podcast, a discussion of law enforcement history, issues and incidents in the Appalachian Mountains and beyond. Hosted and narration by retired Sergeant Scott Lunsford. For more information, please go to scottlunsfordauthor.com. There you can find a link to the podcast website and information on Scott's books and how to order them. Scott can also be reached through the message portal there. This is Alice, your podcast engineer. Thank you for listening. 2. 1. End.